You want to get out your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28? Matthew 28. Before I begin, I want to say welcome to all those who are visiting, and also thank you very much to uh, the members here uh, for all of your support uh, for my family, both financially and encouraging us spiritually. Uh, it's truly great to be a part of this family uh, and to, to be with you and to get to know you uh, for the last two and a half years. I'm so grateful that you've been patient and allowing me to work my way slowly through the entire book of Matthew. Uh, we come now to the very end of this book, and uh, it's been a journey for me. I, I've, I've greatly enjoyed it. I appreciate the encouraging words that I've heard about it uh, from all of you. It's just it's been so nice and refreshing to slow down and think about each of these sections and, and walk through this gospel slowly. Uh, and, and I hope that it's been beneficial for you as well. Uh, in the future, not next week, but the week after, uh, we will transition over into the book of Acts. And I'll, I'll move a little faster through the book of Acts, um, mainly because um, just of the way the text is and, and the benefit, I think, is found in moving a little bit faster through that, that book. So, uh, but we will begin that, and that's really taking off from today. Uh, the text that we're studying today, though it's the end of Matthew, is really the beginning of the church. And so uh, as we study this together, I hope that you'll see how this really sets us up well uh, to, to go into a study about the church that, that Jesus established. To start our study off this morning, I'd like for you to ask yourself, uh, what is your vision for this church, for this group of people? Uh, what would you like for it to be? Uh, what would you like for it to look like? Uh, and, and how would you like to see it grow? In what direction? In, in what things? Like, what is, what is your ideal for the congregation that meets here? Uh, you know, there's actually a lot of different church buildings out there, a lot of different groups that are meeting, uh, even in this community. Uh, and if, if your desire is for a... a coffee shop, or if your desire is for a lot of programs and a lot of uh, fun and, and interaction with, uh, with each other and, and enjoying the, the kind of club feel, uh, there's a lot of other places that you could be uh, that, that would provide all of that to you. Uh, but why should we be here? What is our purpose supposed to be? That's, that's maybe what we might like to do, what we might see as fun and enjoyable and entertaining. Uh, but is that really what we should be doing? Is that really where we should go and, and what God really wants from us? You know, the church is not really about us and what we like, but it's more so about God and what God prefers and what God likes. And what we, what we see now as we come into the last four verses or five verses of chapter 28 of the whole book of Matthew, uh, Matthew has spent 28 chapters describing all that Jesus did to fulfill the Old Testament. Uh, all of the book has been focused around the messianic prophecies and how Jesus has come to fulfill them, and he does. He died, and he was resurrected, and, and we saw that, but now we're at the end of the book, and we're like, okay, what's next? 
what does all of this mean? Okay, Jesus came. He fulfilled everything that he said he would fulfill. He died like he said he would die. He was raised from the dead like he said he would be raised from the dead. What now? Well, you think there would be a whole other book that would be written by Matthew, but it seems as though he is, he is very happy and content to wrap it up with one final teaching that begins a new story that will be continued in the book of Acts. Just one final teaching. Five verses that are going to summarize a final teaching. Other Gospels go to, go to much greater lengths to describe the teachings that Jesus is giving to his disciples. But Matthew chooses five verses. And I want to tell you, these are rich verses. There are so many statements in these verses that are just nuggets of gold for us to sit and dwell on. I might could make a whole sermon about each of these different phrases, but we're not going to do that. We're going to, slow, we're going to kind of slow down a little bit, but we're going to work our way through these and see the whole picture. What does Matthew want us to understand about Jesus' message to his disciples? And how does that connect with what I was talking about? What is the church supposed to be? Well, this is the beginning of the church as he says all of these things. Let's read, starting in verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's start off. You see, he, they, they come to Galilee where Jesus had directed them to come. And some of them doubted, but, but Jesus spoke to them with authority. And, and we read from other Gospels, some of them touched his side and they touched his hands and they saw and they believed Jesus really is who he says he is. Matthew didn't tell us about any of that. He dives right in to the teaching saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Think about this phrase, all authority, in heaven and on earth. Who claims to have all authority on earth? <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. Maybe Caesar at that time, but... Nobody really claims to have all authority on earth. Who claims to have all authority in heaven over the heavenly beings, the, the angels and everything that is in heaven? Who claims to have that kind of authority but God? And if we were to hear somebody say these words, we would think, you're crazy. You don't have that much power, that much authority. If you did, you could do whatever you wanted to do. And if you did, and it was true, then I better listen to everything that you say, and I better be on your good side, because you determine what's going to happen to me after this life is over. You determine what's going to happen to me during this life. If somebody's going to speak this way, 
this powerfully to say all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, then I would listen and obey if I believe them. Because whatever they say, whatever comes next, well, that's the will of the one who is in supreme power and control and authority. And to question him or to go against him would be completely foolish. So whatever he says next is exactly what I will do. Listen to what he says. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What does the one who has supreme power and authority command his disciples to do? He says, go and make disciples. Notice he doesn't say, go and make converts. Go and make disciples. I think sometimes we kind of get the mentality that a disciple is someone who we convert. And so our, our desire is to just convert and get as many people in this building as possible, converting them to our way of doing things. But that's not what the word disciple means, is it? The word disciple means a student or follower of Christ. So he doesn't say, go and make a bunch of converts, a bunch of people who will go along with you and do whatever it is that you're doing. He says, go and make disciples. Go and make a student a disciple, one who has been transformed and who truly follows me. One who is like you, who becomes like you in your manner of life. You are my disciples. I want you to go make more disciples. I want you to go make replicas of yourself, replicas of me throughout all the earth. Notice he says, make disciples of all nations. That's a big deal, isn't it? Because it's not just the Jews who are to be made disciples, but it's everybody from every nation. And, and the interesting thing as you think about that is, it's not just about the Jews who are keeping the law. It's not about that. All nations includes the heathen nations. It includes those who have been living stubbornly rebellious lives uh, of self-indulgence and self-pleasure, those who are completely off of any Jew's radar. And Jesus here, in these words that start off the church, are, is, is making this point, you will be the ones who go to those who are the least like me, and you will bring them to understand how they can become exactly like me. Well, that tells us a lot, doesn't it? That these disciples have a mission in front of them, have something that they are here for, a purpose in their life. And it is to create a group of people, we'll call the church, who are going to be this odd group of misfits. They're from all different nations. Now, typically... If you're a part of this nation, you believe what this nation believes. You act the way this nation acts. You conform to the culture and society of your nation. And Jesus says, you're going to conform to the culture and society of my nation. 
That's what I'm getting you to do, to go out and to take those who are a part of all those different societies and to bring them into my society and to help them become my disciples and conform to my way of life. Well, that's interesting. Because as we're thinking about this, you're going to go and make disciples. We might ask, how do you make a disciple? What does that look like? I mean, that sounds great, but... How is it that, that we're going to do that, Jesus? What are we supposed to do with all these people from all these different nations in order to make them into disciples? Notice what he says first. Baptizing them. Baptizing them. What's the significance of baptism? Is it significant? A lot of people around us uh, say, yeah, it's significant. This is one of the things that Jesus has commanded, and it's significant. Well, how significant is it? Well, notice what he says. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Is that some kind of a formula that you have to use whenever you're baptizing people? You have to say the right words in order for the baptism to be of any value whatsoever. Well, it's not really about the words, but it's about the meaning. Think about that phrase, in the name of. Whenever you hear a police officer say, stop, in the name of the law, we understand what that means, right? That the law has been created by the government that says if a police officer tells you to stop, you stop. It's under the authority of the government. In the name of the law is really in the name of the government. Stop in the name of the government. Well, here he says, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So what, what it's talking about is baptize in accordance with the will of, right, it's the government's will that you stop, in accordance with the will of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in accordance with the meaning that God has given baptism, with the purpose that God has given baptism, be baptized, baptize those who would be my disciples. And notice he says it, it as the first thing. In order to make disciples, you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You baptize them as I have desired for baptism to be given in order to be a part of my body, the church. Baptize them. We go forward. We'll see this in the coming weeks. Acts 2. What is the first thing that Peter says whenever they ask? Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter says, repent and every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. We see baptism has great significance in the first century church. That it's through the immersion in water and coming up out of water that the old man is put to death and the new man raises by the powerful working of God a new man who is no longer... The old man who is no longer a part of the rest of the world, but he is now a part of a spiritual kingdom. Baptism is given that level of significance. And it's a statement that, that the Holy Spirit is working in baptism to apply the blood of Jesus and to create a new heart and a new mind and a new spirit within the man that is willing to 
obey whatever because of the relationship that is created. That from that time forward, they will do the second thing that Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Notice it doesn't just end with baptism. Baptize them and then they're my disciples, but it's baptize them and teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. You see, discipleship's more than water, and it's more than words. It's more than just simply saying, I believe in Jesus, and I'm a follower of Jesus. But it's an observance of the commands that Jesus has given, an obedience to the things that Jesus has given, an understanding of the things that Jesus has given. There is a training that goes along with this discipleship. Why do we gather together on the first day and the, the fourth day of the week. Why do we gather together multiple times? Because discipleship is about training us to be like Christ. Is anybody there yet? We're not there yet. Why is the church doing what it's doing? To train us, to educate us, to help us understand how what we're doing isn't what God wants us to do and how we could be better at doing what God really wants us to do. He says, make disciples of all the nations. Don't make a bunch of people that say they believe in me and then go and live their life and do whatever they want to do. No, make a bunch of people who say they believe in me and they live it out on a daily basis. And they're building one another up to be my body, my representation on the earth. Make disciples who are truly my disciples that's why we don't have coffee shops that's why we're not involved in a bunch of fun and and games and stuff like that as part of our church's work and all of that is because our focus is on being like christ that's what jesus's desire is in this text that's what he wants his disciples to do go and make more disciples who are just like me. And notice in this, there's a complete absence of a hierarchy. He doesn't say, oh, you, Peter, you're going to be, you're going to be the guy now. You got you to get these apostles ready. They're going to be like your Sanhedrin council, and you're the new, you're like the high priest that's going to be over everybody else. And then, and then after you, there's going to come another, and, and then another, and then another. No, he doesn't, he doesn't describe any of that, because the picture here is flat. There is Christ as head, and then there are disciples. And yet yeah, the apostles are given a revelation, an understanding from the Holy Spirit of everything, a remembrance of everything Jesus began to do and teach, and an understanding of what Jesus wants them to do and teach in the future. And they are given to us as we open our New Testaments, we can read and understand the things that they taught. But there's no hierarchy here. It's just go make disciples of all the nations. You are my disciples. I want more. I want everybody to be doing what you're doing, to be committed to the work that I've given you to do. So why do we need to know this? In this, there's a description of why we're here. Why are we here today? It all began 
with Jesus' instruction to his disciples on a mountain in Galilee. Jesus told them, I want you to go make disciples of all the nations. And they started teaching and preaching the good news of the kingdom and training people and helping people understand who Jesus is, helping them understand what the law says and why Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, just like Matthew, a disciple of Christ, is doing. And they wrote all this stuff down so that the truth about Jesus could spread to all nations. And because of that, we're here today. Trying to learn how to be like Christ. We read in this that Christ desires disciples of all nations. And a disciple of Christ is a disciple maker. A disciple of Christ makes disciples of Christ. And so if you're going to be a student and follower of Christ and you think in some way, shape, or form, you're going to be a student and disciple of Christ, but not make disciples who are like Christ, not play some valuable role in the disciple-making process, are you a disciple, really? Are you really a student of Jesus? Are you really a follower of Jesus if you're not really helping in the disciple-making process? How could you be, right? How could you say, I follow Christ but you don't do what Christ did. We have to be disciple makers. And so as we read this, we see, oh yeah, Jesus is talking to his disciples, his, his, his 11 apostles. Paul will come later. There'll be 12. There'll be uh, Matthias. There's going to be 13 guys. These are the guys that are supposed to go everywhere. But there are disciples who are making disciples just like them. And that means that it's just going to keep going. And that's why we're here today. And so as we look at this, the very end of Matthew we see a mission statement for all of us. Why are we here? To become better disciples who make better disciples. What do we need to do? If we are disciples, we have to submit to all of Jesus' commands. All of them. As Jesus was commanding his disciples on what they must do and how they must live and how they must teach other people, we also must submit to those same commands. We are not here to observe a different set of laws, a different set of teachings. And notice Jesus doesn't give them another book and say, here is the new law of the New Testament. But he says, you already know it by the gospel. The, the gospel message of my life. Now go and teach that. And so that's, that's what we must do. We must submit to all of these commandments, and we must follow in Jesus' footsteps by, first of all, being baptized. Now, if you're here and you've not been baptized, and maybe you're resistant to being baptized, or maybe you don't feel like your baptism was in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, you don't feel like your baptism was by the will of God, but maybe by some other erroneous teaching of man, uh, believing that you, you were just giving an outward showing of an inward faith that's prominent in the world around us. 
believing that baptism has no, there's no power in baptism. There's no real salvation work that's happening in baptism. And here's the test for you. If you think that you were saved because you said a prayer, that's probably the type of area, the type of uh, denomination or type of man's teaching that is not really in line with the baptism that is being talked about here. That is putting baptism later in the process, not at the very beginning as Jesus does here, as Peter does, as we, we're going to see all throughout the book of Acts. What happens? They're baptized immediately. That's what they do. And so the first step to being a disciple is being baptized into the body of Christ, receiving the forgiveness of sins, receiving the blood of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit working in you to remove the man of flesh and to bring in the new man. And if you say you're going to be a disciple of Christ, you can't forget, you can't resist that. You can't say, I, I'm just not going to obey the, the command and, and listen to and submit to his desire in that. If you're going to be a disciple, it starts with baptism. It enters you into the body of Christ and allows you to receive every spiritual blessing. But after that, we have a mission that's given to us. And it's the mission that we're talking about all this year. And that mission is to bring about a transformation and a multiplication through the gospel of Jesus Christ. To be transformed in our hearts and our minds. And to, to be willing to teach others so that they too can be transformed. So that Christ's body can multiply because that is the will of our Lord and Savior. He gives it to us right here. This is his purpose. This is his desire. And so the question is, what is going to keep you from submitting to Jesus? What keeps you from submitting to him? You too busy? You got a lot of other things going on? You worried about how someone else will view uh, your submission to what he actually wants you to do because you might be rebelling against someone else? Maybe your family, maybe friends. Are we going to submit to Jesus or are we going to submit to men? And if you're here and you're not willing to make disciples of other people, and, and I don't mean that you are the one who has to know every single thing about the Bible and teach them everything that they have to know, but that you're willing to be a part of that, that you're willing to play a role in the disciple-making process. Being here for Bible classes is a great way to play a role. Doing your own Bible study, coming to Bible class, and saying, I don't get this. That's a role. That's a valuable role to ask a question in Bible class, to go and to encourage those who are teaching and, and leading, to go and to bring other people into the building to learn about the Bible or bring them to a teacher, someone that you know who is a good Bible student and trying to help them understand the truth. Praying for those who are doing that work. There's so many different roles that we can play in the disciple-making process. And the question is, are you really submitting to that role or not? Are you really fulfilling what God has given you the gift and the ability to do? Or are you just choosing the smallest role possible whenever you're, great, you're, you're able to do much more? God knows what you can do. 
We see in this that there's a purpose that's given by God, and the question is, are we submitting and fulfilling that purpose? It's a challenge. There's a challenge in this text for all of us. And so I have a challenge for you. I want you to think about what your role is in the body of Christ. I want you to get that specific in your mind. I want you to get it defined. And if you're struggling with that, I want you to talk to people about that and ask people what they think you might be good at and open up and and have a little conversation with people about that. And then I want you to try to determine some kind of a metric, some kind of a measurement or a weekly goal. And, And don't make it have this many conversions, okay? But make it something that's a weekly goal. I'm going to talk to one person this week about Jesus. I'm going to tell one person that I'm praying for them or one person that uh, I'm going to show them the love and the respect and the admiration that God would want me to, even whenever they spit in my face or whatever it is, you know. Come up with some kind of a metric that is measurable and set a reasonable goal. And then I want you to share that with somebody else who's not your family member. Make that a little more interesting. Share that with somebody who's not your family member so that they can hold you accountable next week whenever you see them. And you can hold them accountable, but also so that you could pray for each other in the work that it is that you've decided to do. Now, I have no way of checking in on any of this. It's going to be completely up to you. But if you want to work on your discipleship, here's a plan. It's not the plan. There's plenty of plans. But here's a plan. Here's a way for you to do that, for you to grow in whatever it is that you're doing. And I want to end by looking at the last verse and understanding an encouragement that I think the disciples needed and I think that we need in order to fulfill the role that God has given us in his kingdom. He says, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. It's not going to be easy to fulfill the role of making disciples of all the nations. (laughs) That's a lot to take on, especially for them individually, but they have each other, but even, even with 11 of them at the time. It would be a lot. And Jesus says, I'm with you. I'm with you. In the, in the persecutions, I'm with you. Whenever they take you before judges, I'm with you. Uh, no matter what happens, I'm always with you. And so if you're scared about fulfilling your role, I want you to see the encouragement. Jesus is with you. If your desire is to do his will, to be his disciple, and to grow in that, Jesus is with you. And find someone who can help you as a brother in Christ as well. And build each other up, pray for each other, and remember how much he loves you. If you're here this morning and you've not yet submitted your life to Christ, this is a time that we offer uh, for you to come forward. And you can uh, go ahead and get out your psalmos and get ready. We're going to be standing and singing together. Or don't get out your psalmos because it's going to be on there. We're going to be standing and singing and giving you an opportunity to submit your life to Christ. And if you refuse, it's not because the opportunity wasn't made available. It's made available every single week. In fact, it's made available at every hour of every day. You can contact me, and we will begin the walk of discipleship. 
You want to study about it? Let me know. We'll get together. I love to do that. I talk probably too much, but we're going to get through some really great stuff and answer some questions that you have, and I love to do that. But if there's anything that's hindering you, please come talk to me about that. And if there's nothing that's hindering you and you know what you need to do, then why not today? Baptistry has been cleaned. It's ready. Uh, it may not be extremely warm, uh, but it's okay. It still will function as the disciple-making begins. And if there's anything we can do to start that, we want to help you. Please come as we stand and as we sing. I can